0: Reveille, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This
1: is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke
0: Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Friday, October 9th, 2020. And it is time, donks. For Morning Combat. Hi everyone, my name is Luke Thomas. Welcome to the Friday edition of the show. I am one half of your hosting duo, the gentleman on the other side of the screen. He is my colleague from CBS Sports, the king of Showtime swag, my friend and yours, the conspiracy to my theory. It's Brian Campbell, BC, ready for a Friday edition of MK.
1: Yeah, hoodies only on Friday. There's no rules, right? You know, it's 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 there's no business on top. It's it's party all over right here, Luke. Uh, sorry for the late start today, Jay and company battling through plenty of uh, technical difficulties. But how about my Showtime merch starter pack right here? Who can never forget, Luke, the 2005 pay per view classic. I'm sorry, 2015 pay per view classic Mayweather Birdo on Showtime. There, shout out to that.
0: All right, certainly was a very memorable fight. Um, yes, very good. All right, we have a lot to get to today we're going to get to the top stories we're going to do our review slash homework segment that bc gave everyone on monday reviewing the prince nasim hamed fight uh, against kevin kelly from 1997 which should be a lot of fun we're going to debut a segment called just the tip yes we are that stupid we're going to do just it just for and, a second uh, look
1: just, just to see how that feels it's between friends yeah
0: don't be weird and then last but not least we're certainly going to get to dead wrong which we originally had done on wednesdays now we're going to do on Fridays. Uh, as always, thumbs up on the video, hit that subscribe button. BC, this was like the first week I feel like the MK promise of what to come really began to roll out. We did three live shows. Granted, one is a little bit late, but okay, better late than never. We had the live chat yesterday. You had your boxing podcast on Tuesday. Next week, I don't want to say who it is, but we've got some interviews that are just going to start rolling in, not on the MK show, but independent just on the channel. We're, we're, the, the wings are flapping, BC.
1: Yeah. You know, as we say around here, uh, be careful to tease the bag, right? Because you may get the mess. It's time for the mess. All right. It's coming. We're ready. Let's do this thing. Yes. Yeah. We you told are... you. We told you we were coming. All right. We're here. We're ready right. to take over. We're ready Very to take good. it all. Luke, I'm not here to take part.
0: All right here to take over. If you want some MK merch, which we're not wearing right now, but we do have some, you can go to store.show. That's S-H-O.com. There you can see the link right there. You can go check it out. We always appreciate that. If you want to try Showtime free for 30 days, you certainly may. Just go to showtime.com right now. You can check everything out. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go and pound sand. All right, BC, without a moment to waste, let's get right into it. A few topics. To start today's show, topic number one, I guess McGregor Poirier 2 is a bit of a go. So, yesterday on Twitter, we had both Connor and Dustin talking back and forth, but the real key was Connor McGregor says he accepted a fight against Dustin Poirier. His only condition was that he wanted it to be a UFC 255 or UFC 256. He did not want to wait until 2021. Now, as we speak, as of the time of this broadcast, The UFC has not officially confirmed it, but let's go to you first on this, BC. What is your reaction to what we saw on social media yesterday?
1: Wow. Am I fired up for this, Luke? It's not that talk of this potential rematch hadn't been in play. It's Did you believe it, right? Did you believe that, you know, Conor was trying some uh, boxing scrimmage for charity or was he trying to go the Manny Pacquiao route or was he trying to come back and be a real fighter again? The fact that we seem to be that close to this being real, I think now we can focus on what's important, that this fight rules, Luke. It matters massively within this historically loaded, lightweight division. There's great history there for what happened between the two of them and their featherweight bout many a year ago. And it's getting the biggest star in the sport back on track. Not, oh, I'm only going to fight for the title or I only want to fight this celebrity. No, a real freaking fight right now against one of the most deserving guys. There's layers to this. I hope it happens. I hope the idea that it has to be 2020 doesn't get in the way, even though we know Dana and company would prefer this in January, because if you think about it, Connor alone sells itself. They put a really crappy card underneath his cowboy Cerrone fight for a reason because you can. I don't know, you know, in the war room what's that is like right now to parachute Connor into the preset plans they had hoped to do for November or December. But let's let's all be cooler heads. Let's let's all prevail together and let's make this fight happen before the end of the year because Luke, it's a great, great fight that matters. I really can't believe we're actually here, and I have to give a shout out to Connor. We did that deep dive two weeks ago uh, on the Wednesday show on you know is Connor actually a real fighter? What's going on inside his head? The, the 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 bank vault is filled with whiskey. Does he really want this, Luke? This shows he wants it. Okay, so let let's you know, let, let's do it.
0: I mean, the, the thi- there are sort of three elements of this that stand out to me that are worth mentioning here, which is this was not a fight that Connor necessarily needed to take now like you i am delighted that he did because i think connor's in a different position certainly dustin's in a different position this is a much tougher dustin poirier than the first time around And the first time around he was certainly no scrub although he got beat obviously very very quickly and so where is connor now dude beating dustin poirier will tell you a lot he did have a propensity through long stretches of his career to sometimes give away fights that maybe he shouldn't have but at this point i feel like if you can beat dustin you gotta be doing something right. You something about what you're offering at the table has to be the real deal, holy field. And I really feel like we're gonna get a clean, accurate sense of where Connor is. Not only is he taking a risk by fighting a guy he's already beaten and beaten quite convincingly, but the fight against Cerrone, it didn't really tell us a whole lot. It was nice, we were glad to see him back, it was dominant, but this is gonna be a much more thorough examination in all likelihood and for those reasons I like the risk that Connor is taking and I like how revelatory it is. Now, to your point about, you know, you could put me and you on the undercard of a Connor fight, people would still buy it because it's Connor, that is true. In Connor's defense though, he's been waiting around since January. I understand why he's got ants in the pants. I totally get it. Plus, yes, they don't necessarily need to put him on those no- the November and december cards but if you look at those november and december cards there is no real promotional crown jewel there are in terms of fight fans and the legitimacy of these divisions totally great fights i'm not arguing the quality i'm just saying if you want to put a little extra shine on them putting connor would do that no matter what but these cards do have a bit of a gap i think in that regard and i think lastly i'd say tony ferguson was going after dustin poirier and saying. Well, you know, you were the traitor here because you'll recall Dustin had turned down the fight and then uh, Tony had turned down the fight against each other, both in this sort of mutual play to get more money. And now here Dustin is taking the fight against Connor. But the thing about fighting Connor is one, Connor said he would donate half a million dollars to Dustin's charity. That's big. And two, maybe UFC didn't change the terms of the money they were going to pay Dustin. But if you beat a guy like Connor, it pays all these other dividends going forward. And it would be such an important part of getting that chapter right in his career. Could you claim a win over Connor? To me, it's no no mystery at all, BC, why he took it.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad that you mentioned Tony Ferguson. Let's be clear. We always say a disclaimer. We don't actually know. We only know what is thrown out there on social media. We don't know what the real negotiation is like. We don't know who's telling the truth. But when Tony gives that whole spiel that he did to Ariel the other day about, you know, I was a company man for them at the start of the quarantine, and I want to see that in return without knowing the full details. It doesn't feel like he's getting that in return. He's now, as his tweet said when he went after Dustin, he's kind of the forgotten odd man out again. And I know some of Tony's bad luck in recent years had been just that, bad luck, injuries, ill-timed illnesses for Habib, that kind of stuff, for him to finally get his moment He went all all in to try to force his moment against Gaethje, and he lost. This is rough. Now, look, obviously you could set up Tony in sort of a replacement offering, whether it be, how about a Nate Diaz fight, right? How about a freaking Masvidal fight? Imagine if they did that. I know that's not on the table, but imagine if they did something like that. Um, But this doesn't get him closer to the title shot, and considering he just did a solid for the company, he lost a very close title-ish fight to Gaethje, it actually seems to make a little more sense that he would get Poirier right now. And uh, I'm not going to argue because Connor Poirier, too, is so big. It matters. We really don't know who's going to win. It's, it's perfection right now. And it does kind of connect the dots back to where we were in January where Connor actually looked refurbished, reformed, like he was ready to be a real fighter again. I don't want to ruin that. I just want to say it feels like Tony's getting wronged
0: here, Luke. Yeah, I understand Tony's frustration. I, I, I get trying to play the game i mean every fighter at this level who feels like they've done the ufc number of solids and then comes out later and said i did you a solid where's my solid in return if i had a dollar for every time an elite fighter made that claim i wouldn't need to be doing this show i could just move to aruba kick my feet up smoke some cuban cigars and just be done with it all so i understand the frustration i'm sure it's real and i'm sure that the that the claims are probably pretty legitimate but on the other hand it's a bit of this prisoner's dilemma. And I'm using that term a little bit loosely, but what I mean to say is you can negotiate with another person and they're doing what they're doing, you're doing what you're doing, you're trying to find a way to align with one another to get mutual gain. But at some point, they might just split and do their own thing. you got to have a plan B. And it looks to me like he didn't necessarily have a plan B, or or he did, which was the Chandler fight, and he turned it down, which I also understand. But you got to have a lot of irons in the fire In this game, Connor has been the king of that to a degree, right? I've got a plan A, I'm going to pursue it, but when it becomes clear, I can no longer see it to its conclusion, I'm going to have an immediate pivot ready to go. Chael Sonnen, kind of similar in that regard. So you always have to play the game the way it needs to be played for maximum gain. I understand the frustration, I get it. I don't know why he called Connor a terrorist, that seems a little bit much, right? I guess we're just throwing the term terrorist around now, every fight cycle, because that's a thing to do, which is weird, but... Uh, as legitimate as the frustrations may be, Dustin has to look out for himself. And I can, if it's really is true, BC, he's going to get half a million dollars for the good fight foundation. Uh, and it really is true that this is a fight that can get signed and he can get that win back and then leverage that for, you know, probably another title shot, dude, I get it. I completely get it. And I think Tony has to accept rational actors are going to respond to rational incentives.
1: Now, do you give Tony more money than you want to to try to get him to fight Chandler in the co-main? Do you do an all lightweight, you know, doubleheader here and and just say, I know we had plans for title fights. Let's move those over. Let's just give you what you want here. Let's keep the lightweight narrative going. Or, or I don't know what they do with Tony. I mean, Tony's going to become the backup fighter again, sort of on the outside looking in. I mean, uh, you just nailed that it that the game is the game. You just turned into Omar right there. Okay, and by you know, uh, Omar look, it's 2020. coming. You want to act you want to act like Omar in every way it's totally fine Luke okay but um I'm just saying that uh, it's uh, he preferred the touch of a man that's fine Luke okay you know what I'm saying and, and you're from Doha I don't want to call anybody a terrorist in 2020 so people can just can we get on the PC train yeah. please okay yeah I mean can um, we be
0: PC about one thing can we please stop calling each other terrorists this is a general rule here, please. Well, look, you have Christ. called me
1: a terrorist on this show many times. You've called me uh, oh, Brian Bin Laden, okay? Osama yeah, but that's, bin Campbell, but that's fair. Right? <laughs> just because uh, oh, I went to your brother's DMs trying to get dirt on you, and he just yeah. totally no sold it. All right. Yeah, he
0: decimated he, yeah. he your ass, which was hilarious. If it's any <laughs> consolation, he does the same thing to me, so don't feel. So I, I was bad. looking
1: for. I was hoping to to bargain that relationship into eating those delicious burgers he makes, and 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 you know, and and all that. Yeah, well, side conversation. Would you risk it all for D Devlin? Oh, we'll do that on the Patreon show. All right, but Luke, this fight is great. Connor Poirier two. Who do you, who are the betting oddsmen gonna go after here? Because you could make equal cases for both. Connor kind of did better against um Habib than Dustin did. Connor owes a knockout, owns a knockout over Dustin. Yet as you mentioned, that was chapters ago in the storyline. That was the P-head era. Uh I don't really know. My my heart's telling me Poirier should be the favorite here, but I bet you Vegas opens with Connor.
0: I think it should be Connor. However, I'm gonna put a big asterisk uh, by it. Here's what I mean by that. For the reasons you just articulated, Connor has good use of reach, big, accurate power, right? Good timing, good distance management. He holds the win over Dustin. Didn't tell us a whole lot, but he did obviously look good against Cerrone in January. He did better against Khabib than Dustin himself did. For those reasons, I think it's probably understandable if the odds makers make Connor a slight favorite. But, and this is the key, The improvement of Dustin Poirier from 2014 when he first fought Connor until today is undeniable, number one. And number two, I think part of that has been the the chin because he doesn't have to cut as much weight. But the other part of that is, and the critics have to accept this and the supporters have to accept this. There's just too much unknown to really be certain about Connor. What has he really done with the time off? Mayweather, when he took time off, was able to come back and still be ahead of the game because he was so far ahead of his peers, he could allow that. Is that really the case with Conor against Khabib? It certainly wasn't true, but that was a bit of a style matchup. Against another striker, another southpaw, is that really true? Maybe, maybe even probably, but you cannot be certain. It's just too hard to know. Conor at his very best versus Dustin at his very best, maybe you feel a little bit more confident, but how close to that version of Conor are we? because I can tell you we are very close to that version for Dustin. So those uncertainties to me BC make it Connor slight favorite but ever so intriguing. Which way do you lean?
1: Yeah, you nailed it. And I, and like I said, I think, you know, my heart tells me that uh, with all those questions of Conor, really, he still has lightweight questions. I mean, what has he had, you know? He lured Eddie Alvarez into into a brawl, and he finished him at lightweight, and then he had the, the largely uneven performance against uh, Habib. We really don't know a whole lot about lightweight Conor. What we try to do, Luke, is look at the two welterweight bouts with Nate and try to do the math in between and try to figure out who lightweight Conor is. Certainly, lightweight Dustin right now is one of the greatest fighters in the division's history, even if he never gets a chance to win that full belt. Uh, I would have to favor him. I would love, well, uh, that's why I want to see it, because I want to see what happens. If Connor does not finish Poirier in the first two rounds, what do rounds three through five look like, where Poirier is just wired to go to war? We saw him against Hooker. He'll go deep with you. Connor's, um you know, he went deep against Nate, but, you know, Nate's, Nate's one-sided in his approach, right? Nate's offense plays into the kind of style of fighting that Connor wants to do. Poirier's much more well-rounded. It's, Oh God, I loved it. Pour some sugar on me. And I'm not talking about Rashad Evans in the name of love. Luke, I want this. I need this, please. I know you and Mick Maynard are friends. Make it happen. Okay. Thank you.
0: Yeah, we are. I think we follow each other on Twitter, but that might be about it. Um, all right, so we'll see what happens there. Topic number two, BC, if we can move along. We stay with UFC, but we move to the more present action at hand. This weekend is going to be UFC Fight Night, whatever number it is. It's going to be, I think it's uh, Fight Island 5, if memory serves. I think that that is correct. But the main event is going to be a really interesting one. Corey Sandhagen gets back to action against Marlon Moraes, And they come to this from a very unique, really, really um, somewhat unusual uh, situation so Marlon Marais previous champion loses to Cejudo rebounds against Aldo but kind of gets left to be forgotten because Aldo was ultimately given the title shot performed ably against Peter Jan but ultimately lost some people thought he actually had beaten Marais in their fight right Corey Sandhagen, a guy you thought might be the next title contender goes up against Sterling and gets run over very quickly but it would be foolish to forget about Corey Sanhagen. And the winner here very likely gets the winner of Peter Jahn versus Aljamain Sterling, although bizarrely, the UFC still has not announced that. Let's assume, though, that that is the course of action. BC, how do you assess the stakes, the importance, the, the, when you think about the biggest element of this matchup for the main event on Saturday, what comes to mind?
1: uh what comes to mind is Corey sanhagen's mindset which i want to get into i want to pause real quick and just say how great is this fight and it's completely under the radar and no one's talking about it luke this is a world-class basically a title fight without a title at stake how how jacked are you one to ten jack Uh, me right now nine nine thank you jack level nine got it all right look the biggest question for me is mindset here um I'm going to advise you to check out a Canadian journalist uh, for MMA, longtime guy, Ariel Hawani of ESPN, had a really good interview with Corey Sanhagen, I believe it was yesterday. Here's the deal, Luke. Every fighter you talk to says this game is 90% metal, mental, right? Every single one. Yet every time guys like you and me go to break these fights down, we're talking essentially 90% physical. What do they need to do here? Corey Sandhagen, who openly works with a sports psychologist, really laid out how... Um, how he looks at the game, how mentally to prepare himself, how it's more of a bell curve and you got to be right at the top and all that stuff. He went into a real good breakdown there. But he said in that fight against Aljo, he just wasn't of the intensity that he needed to be. Now, look, fighters have excuses all the time. But he got steamrolled, Luke. That wasn't the best version of him. He came out flat. He got caught. He got tied up. And the fight was friggin' over. I really like the introspection and the maturity that he showed in that interview to be able to break down that it's like, I know my skills are there. I know I can beat Miraish heads up. I got to get myself mentally back to where I come in at the even keel ready to go level. If he is Luke, if this is something he has figured out, style for style, skills for skills, I think he has the ability to throw so many different looks and angles and the length, and I'm glad you didn't call him Cody Sanhagen, thank you, against Miraish that if he can take this into the later rounds, and this is a five-round main event, I really like his chances there, Luke. Maybe it buttons up with the fact that Maraish at times can gaslate, especially if he goes for the finish early. I think it all comes down to the mental game here. Nice graphics error by our team there. There We didn't notice it, though. And, uh, Luke, you know, he's my favorite in this fight. I love me some Moraes. Moraes is that, that line, right, for the very elite. And, you know, he may win a title one day. He's that good. But I thought Sanhagen was that guy before the Aljo fight. And this is now his double-down chance. This ain't no come back from a loss, get well. You're going right back in in a basic number one contender fight. We will find out on Saturday whether Corey Sanhagen, friend of the program, is everything I thought he was before the Aljo fight. This is his sort of, not his last chance. He's young, but you only get X amount of chances to really stamp that home that you are for real. He's going to have that chance on Saturday. And I think it's up here, Luke. It's up here, brother, okay? Right here. Yeah. Yeah, right it's interesting.
0: I've, I've I've spoken to him a number of times about his various approaches to the game, and you're right. He came in, and Frank Mir used to do this a lot. Like if you go watch Frank Mir against Shane Carwin, he was relaxed to the point of not taking the threat seriously. You want to be relaxed to the point you don't trip over your own shoes. You want to be relaxed to the point where you don't get in your own way. You don't want to be relaxed to the point that you're not really understanding what the other person in front of you is trying to do. And I think he got a little bit over that line. But as you indicated, skill for skill, they don't come a whole lot better than Corey Sandhagen. He is a nimble stance switcher. He has great footwork, good timing, amazing feints, a good scrambler. Takedown defense, I think, is a part of his game that needs some work. It only is historically around 33%. That probably needs to come up a little bit um, if he really wants to be uh, one of the more elite, lasting bantamweights. But against Marlon Moraes, that isn't necessarily the most relevant concern. This is going to be one about striking and his big power and his speed and his combination. So I go back to Sandhagen's fight against uh, Rafael Assuncao, and he was very much able to back him up with feints and fakes and all kinds of angles and stance switching and tricks and luring him into um, the space he wanted him to with different kinds of trap settings and, and whatnot. Now, certainly Assuncao is not the same as Morais, but I do think there's one problem that Morais is facing because we're talking about the Sandhagen show. Morais was this guy who came in from World Series of Fighting Stumbled a little bit in his debut, but then after that was just an absolute force to be reckoned with, running over numerous top contenders. Then he loses to Cejudo, and then he lost, Well, excuse me, he beat, I should say, Aldo. But A, people thought he lost to Aldo, or at least some did. And two, even if you, or B, even if you thought he beat Aldo, you have to recognize it felt like folks were getting a handle on the blueprint, which was pressuring this guy backwards forcing him to move, not set his feet, not be able to get his kicks off. You give the guy space to move laterally and forward and backward to back you down, he's a nightmare. You do the opposite, it is a much easier fight to win. So the question is, A, can Corey Sanhagen do that? And B, if he can, what does that say about the long-term prospects for someone like Marais, who one or two years ago was considered to be the very top of this division for a long time to come? It's almost like the rug got pulled out from under him in the most surprising of ways for a guy who was such a a formidable striker and talent
1: yeah I, that's why I said he's you know I didn't want to use terms like elite gatekeeper Morice was a killer before he went into those those big names you just talked about he may still he may win this fight he may win the title for all we know that's why this band and white division is so good but you know maybe I'm wrong but this is how I see it I think Sanhagen's ceiling is a little bit higher he's not as explosive as Morice. But, you know, talent for talent, this has all the makings to be a great fight. I love that it's sort of slipping in. in, in between on this calendar. As you mentioned, October's loaded with big-time boxing and MMA, and this is your fight night five-round main event. This has the potential to be fantastic. And you know who one of my favorite fighters was, Luke, you know, a generation ago in UFC? Remember Dustin Hazlett? Now a uh, EMT? Love that guy. I almost feel like Hagen is what Dustin could have been in this era as a more well-rounded guy, but still has unique threats in certain categories. I think he's a special fighter. Again, Sanhagen goes out there and lays an egg. It is what it is, but I think this is his fight to win, Luke, in a very close fight on paper. And uh, I'm, I'm going with our guy there, Cody, Corey, both of them, both Sanhagens. I'm going with them.
0: Uh, very quickly, any other fight on the uh, card? I mean, Edson Barboza, and Amir Khani as a co-main event seems fine. Hard to know what's left of Barboza, but if there's anything left of him relative to his peak, he should like win that, that pretty handily. Uh, anything else on that card that stands out to you?
1: Um, can I look at it, Luca? You're you're kind of catching me cold here. Can I? Well, go then let me go while you right
0: while here. you do your homework live on the air. I'll do this. Ben Rothwell getting back to action against Marcin Tibora should be kind of interesting. He has spoken out about some of his uh, political stands, causing him a little bit of trouble back home, which has been an interesting kind of storyline there. Um, I would also say Yusuf Zalal is back. I think, what is this, his fifth fight? His fourth or fifth fight this year? So he has fought three times, February, June, and August. He won them all, granted, albeit through decision. This is his fourth fight in the UFC of the calendar year, which means in October, BC, if it goes quickly or it goes well without too much issue, it is possible he could squeeze five fights inside of 2020, maybe even 10 or 11 months which is frankly unheard of in the modern era. Now, I'm putting the cart before the horse. He has to win. But he has been an interesting guy. Trains out there with Factory X uh, and Mark Montoya. Very well-schooled. Nice guy. Interviewed him. He's got a great immigrant story coming over from Morocco, back in He'll the Middle third East will third-world your Keep ass. Keep on him. Freak, okay. Say again?
1: He'll third-world your ass if you're not careful.
0: That's a little bit racist. Uh, lastly, also, Tom Aspinall who had a great UFC debut. Uh, this, I think he's from Liverpool. Very, very good heavyweight striker. We'll see what he can do. Uh,
1: look, I think Cynthia Calvillo had five wins in a calendar year a couple years ago, although one was not in UFC. And right. also, Luke, I have looked at the undercard now. No, I'm not excited about any other fight. But thank you for breaking down those storylines.
0: Uh, also, uh, Chris has taken on Rodrigo Nascimento. Should be good.
1: Oh, that guy okay. from Philly. Yeah, he bangs a little bit. All right, I'm in. He
0: bang, he bang. Okay. Uh, okay, so now we go to topic number three, Bellator 248. So Bellator triumphantly putting their first show on, the first major, not the actually first first, but the first major MMA show in Paris, France. France has finally legalized MMA. For folks who may not know, they have a long history of judo, and they're very, very elite judo players that come out of there. Uh, Teddy Reiner being, uh, or Rignier, however you pronounce it, is one of the most prominent ones in the modern era. But they finally got it done. There it is. They're going to have a show there, and it's going to be headlined, B.C., well, in a couple of different ways. There's the Yeah, Bellator well, let's talk Paris about go- this. Luke, go let's ahead. jump in and talk Ex- expl- about it. Explain to the folks how they're stacking it and what what you what you make of that.
1: Yeah, we we tell the truth around here. I, we're our, you know, we're all Viacom CBS family at the end, but I don't like when Bellator does two cards on back-to-back nights from the same city. I'd rather them load it up my preference. This is a little weird rollout tomorrow. We're getting a four-fight main card of Bellator 248 beginning at 1130 a.m. Eastern time on CBS Sports Network. Michael Page and Ross Houston is the main event of that. Then you get the undercard after that for Bellator Paris, and then your Bellator Paris main event is about 5 p.m. Eastern when it's uh, Chek Congo and Timothy Johnson at heavyweight. That's a two-fight car, two main card at 5 Eastern. It's a little wacky and jumbled, okay? It's going to be all day. Breakfast with Bellator, lunch with Bellator, tea time with Bellator, whatever. But in terms of the fights, Luke, anything here moving you? Because I'm I'm getting a little moved by MVP right here. You want me to tell you why? Yeah, please. All right, he's got Ross Houston. You don't know Houston. He's 8-0, 32-year-old from Scotland, had won the welterweight championship at Cage Warriors. Looks like a formidable foal here, but obviously this matchup is more about Where is Michael Page exactly? We know he got one punched by Douglas Lima, has come back with three knockouts, but Luke, they're against guys maybe he should have knocked out. I'm not telling you Ross Houston is a world beater, but this is an interesting challenge. But here's what I love about MVP. You want to get in his mind, you figure out, did that one loss to Lima humble him? Did it make him want to be more of an entertainer than a fighter? What was it? Well, he was on CBS Sports HQ this week, Luke, and I checked that interview out, and he says, it's not about the title. I'm going to be wherever Douglas Lima is going to be. I'm going to run that back. If he goes to middleweight and beats Musashi for the title, I'm moving up to middleweight. If he goes to light heavyweight after that, or he goes to heavyweight, I'm moving up to heavyweight where he eats. I eat where he sleeps. I sleep, which is a nice shout out to Shannon Briggs. Let's go champ. on stealing that line. And I'll add in my own where he bangs. I bang. I like that from MVP. I like that Luke. that it's this guy bested me. He's one of the best in the game. I'm going to get him back. I think that's where Michael Page should be leaning and looking to go. And Scott Coker did say the winner of this, if they do so spectacularly, could very well be getting a, a welterweight title shot next, whether it's a rematch with Lima, if it's MVP, or it's for a vacant title. Uh, interesting fight here, Luke. Actually has some, some legit title implications. How much do you believe that MVP can be just that, a, a, a true elite title contending out and not just a guy who can do spinny shit against C-plus fighters?
0: Yeah, not much. Not much. I, I don't begrudge him that. I don't think that's some kind of knock on his character uh, or it makes him a bad person. I think the Bellator gave him the kind of treatment to really bring him along to get the best out of him. I I, I actually love his showmanship. When he was bringing out the Infinity Gauntlet, I was all in favor of it, the Pokemon ball. like I think that it really... I mean, he gets on Center or goes viral for Bellator, and you can understand why they want to keep a guy like that around. He is just built for virality he is the viral fighter in the viral information age and so in that sense he has tremendous value and and they did what they could they gave him every kind of nuanced step along the way to see where he was but when he goes up against the very very best he certainly performs ably but he's not of that caliber and that's okay not everybody is that's not the reason why i want to
1: ask you i want to pause you and ask you the the sample size that we've seen of him against the elite was this, the, the very sleep-inducing technical performance against Paul Daly, in which neither committed to throwing, and it was a fight with Lima that started to heat up, and when it did, he got knocked out with one punch. Is that enough of a sample size to show you whether he is or isn't truly elite?
0: By itself, it's not definitive evidence, if that's what you mean. like We can affirmatively conclude, based on all of these fights, he is or is not. That is not true. However... The fact that he went up against Lima didn't get out of the uh, second round. I don't believe it went pretty. Uh, you know, it went, went pretty well for Lima. It was not much of a contest uh, for the most part. The daily fight sucked, but that was in part. You know, I blame Daily just as much as MVP for that one. So okay, it's a bit of a wash. But here's the thing: sort of two other things you sort of note. He has beaten the Ricky Rainey's and the David Rickles of the world, who were good fighters, but maybe not of that next caliber. And so feasting on them is is interesting evidence, but it was how consistently Bellator told you that's where he, they thought he was, that they kept putting him there. I mean, if they really thought he was the best welterweight nearly 20 fights into his career, you'd know by now. They would have done it over and over and over again. Like, for example, they know. Patricio Freire is the best fighter they have, or pretty goddamn close to it. If he's not number one, and I think you can that call he is him Freire,
1: Luke. You yeah. can call him Freire. It's fine. Freire. They accepted. know. It's they Friday know not.
0: Ryan Bader is as good as advertised. You can see it from their matchmaking. Bellator tried to give the most amount of time to MVP to get the best out of him, and that's okay. He got pretty good. And to your point, I can't declare it's not true that he can't beat those other guys. But against No Sean Burrell, he couldn't do a whole lot. Against Paul Daly, he couldn't do a whole lot um uh and against you know douglas lima he could do hardly anything at all it just sort of tells you and i think he's not that young either i think he's 30 how old is he Three. 33 he's 33 Luke. 33 so this is my point that's can the he, age can he... that my
1: savior perished okay
0: yeah okay all right that's a weird thing to bring up but all right can he beat douglas lima i can't tell you no would i bet on it i would not
1: okay okay that's interesting. I'd like to go to Jay here for any uh, religion reactions, but he is not camera able today. Jay's having plenty of Wi-Fi issues. Luke and uh, I am waiting though. Remember that scene in Sleepers where Kevin Bacon is eating spaghetti in the back of that bar, and the the kids that he raped grew up, and they and they came back for payback and they shot and killed him. Do we have a Jay Ron Johnson type Sleepers
0: ending in our future? All right. Elsewhere on this card, we uh, have Matt's Bernal, UFC veteran. <laughs> <laughs> he's,
1: he's gonna no sell that, Luke. He's, just, you know, he's, just, gonna,
0: yeah. he's gonna be Straight on up, there. Right. The other one is uh Chet Congo, Timothy Johnson, dude. Do you realize Chet Congo hasn't lost since 2015? Did you realize that?
1: He's won like nine in a row on, under the Bellator <laughs> banner, and then there was the weird, the weird Bader fight. Look, he was gonna lose the Bader fight, Luke. You know that, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was weird, Still, right? There was an eye poke. I think Mitrione kicked somebody in the dick. It was yeah. a weird
0: fight. Still, he hasn't uh, technically hasn't lost since 2015. He's going to rematch Timothy Johnson, who he knocked out, I think, in 2018. So it's a rematch. Timothy Johnson, UFC veteran, first two fights in Bellator didn't go his way, but the last two, including the one over Mitrion, uh, knocking him out pretty quickly. Maybe he's finally turned things around. So I guess that will be the Bellator Paris main event BC, which I think is going Look, is to there... air in whatever channel in in France. That's uh, a big deal.
1: So uh, just to be cl- just to be clear here, both the Bellator Paris undercard, which starts about. Um, 1.30, I believe, and the 5 p.m. Eastern Bellator Paris main card airs on the Bellator MMA YouTube channel. Just for full clarity, also airs on local French television. Luke, is there a uh, thing to be said here that the winner of this rematch, Czech Congo, Timothy Johnson, could get a, a title shot here against Bader? Is this, is this out of bounds?
0: I don't think so. I think that's not crazy. I mean, they got to keep him active. Obviously, light heavyweight at this point is the Vadim Nemkov show over at Bellator. Um, no, no real case for a rematch there for Bader. He got wiped. So I don't think that's crazy. I don't know how exciting that is per se, because Congo feels like (sighs) he's very valuable for Bellator given their French ambitions. And he obviously still has a little bit left in the tank, but, um, I don't know how much he excites the non-French fan base at this point.
1: All right. Real quick on Bellator. Scott Coker also announced on CBS Sports HQ this week that Corey Anderson's uh, promotional debut Luke will be November 5th Thursday night CBS Sports Network his light heavyweight opponent Melvin Manhoff right uh, bombs away so Twitter's killing Bellator for this matchup you know company man aside it's a little gas station heavy I kind of like it look I'm sorry I don't care that M- Manhoff's 44 I don't care this isn't his best weight class he will send you to hell at any time, Corey Anderson just got knocked out by Blahowitz This is this is an interesting. It's an interesting fight, Luke. Okay, could be gross. It's interesting though.
0: Yeah, it's probably going to be gross. I I thought Manhoff should have retired a long time ago, and after that, he got a bunch of wins. So I've been a little bit wrong about that. And well, I mean, I, you can still get wins and be a viable fighter, and already have too much damage from fighting, including brain trauma. So it's, it's not one doesn't preclude the other necessarily. Still. I'd have preferred something. a I would have preferred an immediate title shot, frankly, against Vadim Nemkov. I think that would be a really exciting one. But maybe they want to slow roll it. It's still dangerous enough where if you're not on your, you know, minding your p's and your q's, Manhoff will set you on fire. But that's a fairly easy fight for that should be a fairly easy fight for Corey Anderson.
1: Yeah, was 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 so could you busy? I mean, come on. <laughs> Who else was in discussion here, Luke?
0: It's a good question. All right, last but not least, BC. We'll pump uh, punt to you on this one we got a bunch of fight announcements on the boxing side of things for the month of December. Take it away, good sir. What can you tell us?
1: Look, December 5th is going to be a very busy day. I'm happy about this. That uh, fight we already know was going to happen on Fox pay-per-view from the PBC, Errol Spence Jr., First fight back from the accident and the win over Sean Porter a year ago. Going to go up against former champion Danny Garcia. I love this matchup. Two world titles at stake. But it's going to be moved now to December 5th. And it's going to take place at AT&T Stadium, Luke, in front of fans. So this is interesting. I don't know how many fans. I don't know if it's going to be more of the 10 15,000 variety. Let's spread them out. Or if we're going to go full-on Florida man crazy, Luke, Governor DeSantis did uh, approve, I, th- I saw on Twitter the other day, the idea of 65,000 fans can enter the Dolphins Stadium. Florida has not, uh, I'm sorry, the team has not committed to that yet, but it's it's in play And um, that's interesting for our February bet. But I love this fight. I love putting it in a big dome. Hopefully we can have some fans there. And on the same day, this is good news for boxing fans. Ryan Garcia, the, the massive Golden Boy prospect. We know he'd been in arguments with Golden Boy, De La Hoya, DAZN about getting paid what he deserves, being in the right matchups. Getting, you know, all that. He's going to fight Luke Campbell, a former title holder there. This is a great fight. It's going to be on the zone that day. And look, for Ryan Garcia, we need him in these level bouts to find out how good he is. And um, my man, my cousin Luke Campbell here, uh, shout out to, uh, oh, that would be Luther Campbell. But shout out to Uncle Luke there. Um, he can fight. He's a, you know, he's got a great Olympic pedigree. He's a very good boxer. He's tough. Luke, this is a really good hardcore fan matchup. And it's going to tell us a lot about who Ry Guy is. And think about this. What if Connor comes back in December? We got this doubleheader of boxing on the 5th. Uh, we got a really good Showtime uh, fight with um, Nordino Bali putting his title up against Nunito Donaire that month. What if we also get Fury Wilder 3, which there's a lot of talk. Could it be December? Would they push it off to January? This is what we talked about at the beginning of the, um, of the pandemic and the quarantine, Luke, that once everybody does come back, they're going to hit us over the head with good matchups because they have to. We're already talking about a loaded October. December could be massive if we end up getting every, you know, every six, seven days another giant card. I don't know, you know what your pay-per-view budget looks like. I get to expense them myself, Luke, but um, this is pretty exciting.
0: You know, it's kind of interesting. We didn't really put this in the rundown, but it's worth thinking about. For some reason, it, it's not true. It's not true that fight sports haven't also felt this. But if you look at the ratings for all sports, NBA, tennis, horse racing, uh, you know, even football to a degree, everything is down and down in major ways. And folks are having a little bit of a hard time understanding, although some of it makes sense. The NBA season's long, supposed to be over. It's going head to head with American football. It's going to have a hard time competing, blah, blah, blah. But it does feel like to me, BC, that the big fights, the big ones or the ones that people really care about, those still stick out. No problem. Adesanya Costa being, you know, a great example. Charlo doubleheader on the boxing side. You know, the boxing community was kind of waiting for that one a little bit, right? Here we have some fights coming down the pike as the ones you just mentioned that I feel like I don't know if all of them will do well. Now, the Garcia versus Campbell fight, that is going to be on DAZN, as you indicated. So that's a little bit different. But some of these other ones, I feel like I don't know if all of them will do well. But don't you feel like the big fights on fight sports, they're not pandemic immune but relative to the other sports, I don't feel like they're suffering as much. No,
1: they're not. And there's the whole idea of if you're stuck home, would you pay to see great fights? Probably. But I think it's certainly important, Luke, this trend that we're going toward of stadiums opening up so that promoters can get a bit of their money back through the live gate, which is so important. Luke, I do want you to comment, though, on our bet here. OK, it looked like I was going to win it early. Then it looked like you were going to win it. The bet. Well, Jay, are you Is this live? Jay, or can only he, we hear you? Jay, are you there? All right. Jay is claiming that at AT AT&T for the Cowboys game last week, they had 20,000. Luke, our bet was that February 1st, 2021, we would see full indoor arenas filled. Now, that might not look good, but how do you feel as a... I don't know if liberals, the word, I don't know if scared man is the word. I don't know you if, know it's not Dr. Luke word. Fauci is the word here. Are you okay with fights echoing the NFL, but maybe taking it a step further and by the new year, I'm serious about this. Why can't we go to Raider Stadium? Why can't we have Fury Wilder three? And why can't we fill the stadium but put everybody in a mask? Won't the germs go up yeah. and out?
0: O- only in MMA is the guy who listens to scientists somehow the crazy one. It tells you how fucking backwards. The
1: germs, they're going. The germs are going up. They're they're going yeah. up and out, it, it, Luke. Can t- we do that? It tells that? you how
0: fun, it tells you how stupid and backward this absolutely dumbass industry is. Here's what I'll say: uh, as treatment gets better as mask wearing becomes more under, you know, universal as rapid testing becomes more deployable, your options open up in a dramatic way. No doubt about it. So I still don't know how we're going to get to full indoor arenas by February, but BC with these stadiums that are large ones that have retractable roofs, ones that have just give you a little bit of flexibility in meeting some of these other different demands. I do think you're going to see a little bit more of that to your point. You know, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida said, hey, if you want to have 65,000 people in the uh, stadium for the Dolphins, you can. Dolphins are like, eh, we'll keep it at 13K, thanks. Still, 13K is a lot better than zero. It just feels weird. I don't know. Not every sport is able to do it. It feels – watching fights at the apex is different, but still great. Watching, you know, a baseball game with just cutouts in the audience or these empty-ass, you know, stadiums in football – God, it feels so bizarre. It doesn't have the same... Uh, it, it, it doesn't feel like an event in the same kind of yeah. way. So figuring something out to solve that problem is key.
1: Yeah, want to know the rest? Hey, by the rights. how bizarre. Luke, if uh, Daniel Snyder called you up tomorrow and said, thank you for being a fan all these years. We got a big game coming up at RFK this weekend. We're going to fill the stadium, but it's going to be outdoors, so the germs will go out, and we got front row seats for you, your daughter, your lady and abuela would you accept that and wear Fuck masks no.
0: i had literally free passes at a suite to go to last year's uh was it last year's season or two seasons ago when uh mark sanchez was the quarterback for the uh at the time the skins against the new york giants and it, they were i think the giants had hung almost 40 on them by halftime my wife and i left at halftime and it was the best thing we ever did. I have that team. I mean, at some level, if you cheer for a team and you watch a sport, it is supposed to bring you joy. Right? On some level, at some point, it's supposed to be what it's about. They don't bring me joy uh, at all. I can't stand them. I can't stand Dan Snyder. And uh, the sooner he sells that fucking team, the better. Wow. Right.
1: If I bought yeah. you a Jason Campbell Redskins jersey, would you wear it on the show?
0: <laughs> uh, I met Jason Campbell. He was a nice guy. Uh, all right. So let's do this. BC, those are our big topics to start the show. But a lot of things we say on the show are not correct. And it's yeah. time that we it's time that we face the music, good sir. It's time for dead wrong. Take it away.
1: Yeah, it's time to line us up. Get your guns out. <laughs> we are not always right. Sometimes, in fact, we're dead wrong. Bob Barker's still breathing. Sorry about that, Bob. Uh Luke, number one this week, look, these are the <laughs> corrections to our factual or even opinionated mistakes. Um, we had a discussion. How small of a modern fighter could go back to UFC 1 in 1993 and still win the whole tournament? One thing we got wrong when remembering our favorite fat guys was that, Luke, you said Emmanuel Yarborough was in UFC 1. That is uh-huh. uh, uh, incorrect. It Damn was it. the other fat guy. What's his name? Taito Avassa. What's the guy's name? You know, the other fat
0: guy. Uh, UFC 1 had Taylor. Uh, he got kicked Tully. in the
1: teeth by Gerard Goudot, right?
0: Tila Tequila.
1: Tila Take yeah, from yeah, there you go. All right, uh, look, of course we knew that, Luke. We got it wrong, but I wanted to have a deeper, dead wrong discussion because when we, you and I, settled on this in our debate, we said, look, you can't be too small. We said you thought maybe maybe Alexander uh, Volkanovsky could win. I thought maybe lightweight or above. And then we had people coming at us. Wow, shout out to the flesh in that photo. We had a lot of people coming at us, Luke, saying, man, you guys are crazy. They didn't have any skills back then. Demetrius Johnson could run the table. Luke, I think people are forgetting this. Could Demetrius Johnson beat most of the fat guys they put out there in the first five UFCs? Maybe, probably. We saw Hoist Gracie fight Aki Bono, and it it was about jujuts in the end, right? But there were a couple guys who had skills. Shamrock was... Juice to the gills. He knew a little bit about jiu-jitsu. He, he wasn't, you know, I mean, you had chemo. You had hoist. Severn had certain levels of skills. I don't think you're just going to roll out a Bantamweight or a Featherweight, even against limited, skilled, you know, big, Some of look, 70% of those guys, yeah, they're losing. Our Jimerson with one glove, he's losing. But I like roided Ken Shamrock's chances in a bare-knuckle fight against any featherweight or bantamweight you can put out no, there. No, you're crazy? out of your
0: mind. You're out of your mind. You do not understand how little they understood about the ground game relative to today. It's not even close. It is It is a, a toddler reading versus William Buckley Jr. It is not even close. Not even close.
1: I don't know. The, only, like issue
0: is, the only issue for Ken me is... Ken would do if, it.
1: Ken would do it right now.
0: The only issue for me is if... You're so small. Uh, like uh, Yarborough wasn't in, in UFC one. Okay, I got that part wrong. But like, could Johnson beat him? Well, Johnson could leg kick him because these th- these things were like unlimited time and just keep going and keep going. But like, how do you punch that guy if you can't reach his face? Because he was tall too. He wasn't just a big fat guy. And how do you punch him in the gut to hurt him? Keith Hackney knocked him down with that over the hand, like overhead ridge hand. You know, I don't know how you do that if you're a Demetrius Johnson. That's the Is only thing. Is that a it's not, like, From a skill standpoint, he can't win.
1: Is that savat? Is that
0: French karate? That's kung fu fighting, bitch. That's what savat. that is. Uh, all right, well, we got that one wrong. But, uh, you know, I- I'm not... I, I agree with the group that the guys today are just... A, it's so different, it's hard to even compare. But there is something to be said for weight classes and how hard it might be to hurt someone. So I think they could probably get it done. Max Holloway would beat the fuck out of these guys. When you start getting smaller than that, it gets a bit of an issue.
1: I don't know. Ken Shamrock could wrestle a little bit, right? Can I reiterate that he was used to the damn gills? I don't know. Maybe you are you, juicing, you are not right? in
0: touch with how much the game has developed.
1: Maybe everyone's juicing, okay? That's what that's what Nick said. All right, number two on Dead Wrong, Luke. Um Carlos Condon lost to Robbie Lawler via split decision at UFC one ninety five. I think this is another cleanup on Isle Luke. Can you explain what you got wrong here?
0: I don't know that I got this one wrong, did I? What did I say?
1: Yeah, who's producing the show? What did Luke do wrong here?
0: Did I say Anybody? what? It, I mean, I said he lost. I didn't say he won. I mean, it's a fa- I, I thought Condit should have won that fight, right? I, that was the big contention Was when it was over, I was like, "You got to be fucking kidding me!" I thought, you Condit, thought Condit won. Condit should- Okay. Oh, I thought you it was, thought unanimous, it was and it unanimous, and it's the, split, and the viewers split. are losing their shit about this. Really? All
1: right, I'll tell you what—you're really dead wrong about this, Luke. Because I just rewatched this fight two nights ago, hev- heavily drinking, uh, for just for entertainment purposes. You love this fight, Luke. You should. It's a great action fight. Okay. This fight is not as good though, as Lull or McDonald. And in fact, while they're both above the line, meaning they are great all-time action fights, I actually think there's a legitimate gap between the two. Um, The fifth round of Lawler Condon is insanity. It's everything we love about MMA. It's not to say that rounds one through four weren't good. Two elite guys, a title fight, this is blood and guts. I don't know, dude. Lawler McDonald was just another level of savagery. So the one thing that you're dead wrong, it's a slight, it's a slight dead wrong, Is this a a really, really damn good fight? It ain't. It ain't. It ain't in the upper room, though, Luke. I'm sorry. Okay?
0: Well, there are some key differences, which is that this fight was a little bit back and forth, whereas uh, McDonald was having long stretches of success against Lawler. And then the firepower and the grit and, the frankly, the ferocity eventually overcame McDonald in the end. Um, And that was really the key big difference. Whereas this one was just two honey badgers, you know, fighting over mating rights. It was it was just it Ooh, was just a melee, and the other one was a more coordinated, come from behind assassination. So in that sense, I give the edge to McDonald. But I just can't get over two things. One, as you recall, that fifth round. I just, there's not many things like Lawler condit round five, and two, to me, yes, yeah, it's, it's the accumulation of all the damage that they've had, but neither recovered from that. That was such an That's absolute true. beating on either side. They were not the same afterwards, and so uh, it's hard for me to like lose its significance for that reason.
1: I'll put it right below uh, uh, Hunt Silva one.
0: I had to. Uh, is this a true story about that? I was I was watching it in my living room out here. I am not lying when I tell this to you, BC. By I think round four or so, I was watching through my fingers. I could yes, not believe what I was what screaming.
1: I was, I was Adrian. Now, throw, throw the damn towel already. Come on, Rocky. You're going to get Apollo killed. Yeah, it was it was a little nerve, nerve-wracking there. I, heavyweight should not go five rounds was my editorial that night because somebody's going to die. All right, Luke. Our final dead wrong here, officially here, is um, on Wednesday's show, we talked about the Mike Perry idea of putting up uh, uh, you know, the idea of whoever pays the highest amount can be in my corner. I said that was genius from the Platinum One himself, and we got flooded with people saying, bro, check out Josh Thompson's podcast. He has a pod with, with Big John McCarthy, Luke, that's very popular. I want to give those guys a shout-out. A yeah, lot I of like people who, who love great audio on Twitter you typically say, my two favorite shows, Morning Combat and that Big John and Josh Thompson show. What do they call it, Luke? What are they, what's it called?
0: Uh, we- is it uh, Weighing In or um, th- um, something like that?
1: I don't know. Uh, people tend to like the Michael Bisping one, too. I think some people even like um, uh, Weighing In. Yeah. Okay, okay. yeah. People like Brendan Schaub, too. I forgot about that one, too. Uh, but, Luke, it was Josh Thompson that apparently came up with this idea, and did he give it to Perry? Did Perry hear it from him? Either way, we were dead wrong on the origin. What we weren't dead wrong about was that it's a badass, great idea. Luke, what would it take to get showtime to put up the money so that you and i could coach together in mike's corner now coach Latory, by the way just had her 23rd birthday happy birthday um uh, miss gonzalez but uh imagine you and i wearing morning combat gear okay Ven- venom created morning combat no, gear you would
0: have to bring the spit bucket with your hand through the opening uh fly the fly hole in your pants
1: I mean could, this is a this would be a publicity stunt. I mean we would probably have to wear the Reebok gear, but if I just zipped the zipper down and just flashed MK out there, all right? It would end with Mike Perry savagely killing both of us, but it would be it would yes. be a fun ride. It know? would end
0: with Mike Perry beating probably whatever opponent he had and then knocking us the fuck out quite rightly. But I'm telling you, the key would be to put your hand through the the your down your pants, opening through the fly hole and then you would hold the water bottle and when you wanted water spit you could just squeeze spit, it from there. Yeah.
1: Uh, A little bit of bonus dead wrong. Look, I don't know where I got this from, but I was wrong. Season one Bellator commentary team was John Attic and Jason Chambers, not Bazooka Joe. Where was I Uh, thinking wrong on that? And what do you love about Jason Chambers? Bazooka
0: Joe, it does glory with uh, our friend Todd Grisham.
1: Yes, that's right. That's right. I thought he did both. Uh, Do you like Jason Chambers? I don't remember that that man too well. You know
0: that guy? Yeah, I like him okay. He used to do uh, one commentary as well. And he did Fight Quest with uh, Jimmy Smith now over at SiriusXM.
1: Oh, wow. All right. Shout out to uh, One Championship. I'm sure that uh, it was the most watched um, stream in the history of Asia.
0: More than, I don't know, the handover from Hong Kong back to the British.
1: One day, Shatri will cure cancer. Luke, he will win a Nobel Prize, and I will be there to write the story. I'm
0: Thanks. pretty sure he won a couple of Nobels this year. I'm not totally certain, but I think a, one in chemistry and then one in international diplomacy.
1: All right. Hey, we got another oh, no, well, that segment, would be a Luke. Pulitzer.
0: Excuse me. Sorry. No, not a Pulitzer. I don't even know what fucking award it would be. Whatever. He got an Oscar what are too. What were
1: those MMA awards that 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 didn't nominate us for best show ever this year? What's it, what are those called? Are you
0: are you bitter about that? What's the name of the award show again? Uh, I think it's the Fighters Only World MMA Awards.
1: I think they were nominating shows that aren't even together anymore. Yeah. We they they <laughs> missed somebody got the score wrong there, Luke. Okay? All right. This is the real deal right here.
0: Let me ask you about dead wrong. It's not only what we get wrong. Can we put someone else for being wrong on blast in this segment? What do you think?
1: Please, okay? All right. And I know people coming at us. They said Teddy Atlas sent us to hell on his recent podcast. He didn't, Luke. I listened to it, okay? He he just, you know, he didn't like the halftime show. It didn't mean he didn't like us, okay?
0: All right? Well, he didn't know your name.
1: Well, yeah, there was Luke Thomas and the other guy. That's fine, Teddy. You know, I used to, you know, we've done live TV together, Teddy. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs)
0: uh okay that's hilarious all right with that in mind that is dead wrong if you have any other submissions for dead wrong even if it's from this week or last week or whatever morning at gmail.com put dead wrong in the uh, subject that's the place to do it morning combat at gmail.com yeah you can send us so an i'm gonna email tell for- you
1: real quick it's going to be Corey Sanhagen by fourth round submission. So if, if he loses, please put that in dead wrong. But that's 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 the best bet this week, Luke.
0: Thank you. Very good. There you go. MorningCombat at gmail.com. You can send us an email for any reason you might want to send us an email for. But for dead wrong, that's the place to definitely do it. Okay, BC. We now debut our next segment. It's called Just the Tip. This is where we give a recommendation so the viewers here on anything could be with, they call it a tip to tip here. We got to change the name in just a little bit, but it's fine. At least we have graphics. I'll take those instead of having no graphics. Uh, <laughs>
1: this is kind of like the kitchen on, on Friday. Remember Ice Cube came in. He's like, man, you guys always have like peanut butter, but no jelly. You got milk, but no cereal. There's always yeah. something a little bit off on MK. Maybe that's, you know what I'm saying? Like Jay's really talented, but he's also a weird dude. There's always something off, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. So, with just the tip, it's a recommendation for anything. It could be fight related, not fight related, movies, music, whatever. Just something that you would like to impart to the viewers. BC, you go first, please.
1: Um, I'm hearing an echo, guys. You mind yes, muting please your effing uh, microphones, here. A, please. Thank you. It's a live, live show here, live TV, internet TV of the future. Ah, uh, look, my just the tip is this week. It's going to be pro wrestling, and I know that Luke doesn't want to hear that shit. And I'm going to be really honest with you. In 2020, I've about had it with pro wrestling. It coincided with my role at CBS Sports kind of changing where now I'm focusing exclusively on MMA and boxing and not pro wrestling. It also coincided with quarantine pro wrestling just being crap outside of the cool stuff AEW has done. The empty arena, I'm just not feeling it. And oh, by the way, it's coincided with the last two years of WWE storytelling on the main roster just going to shit. But something has changed that has brought in even me out of retirement and if you are an ex wrestling fan or even somebody like Luke who hates it this is going to be enough to wake you up WWE has finally dialed in on the storyline that could really define this era and open up a you know a, a new set of of goodwill and ratings and all that it's not that everything sucks lately the whole Bray Wyatt the fiend stuff's been great but Roman Reigns is heel finally Roman Reigns the WWE golden child the new John Cena who everybody loves But booze because they're just sick of it. Just make him a bad guy already. He's a badass. Let him be bad. Boy, they have done that in a big way. They brought on Paul Heyman to be his advisor. Could you get any more of a pro wrestling endorsement than that? Brock Lesnar's guy. They allowed him to take off the chest protector and actually flaunt how jacked and ripped and how much of a badass he is. And number three, and most importantly, they have inserted old school storytelling by allowing him to feud with his real-life cousin, Jay Uso, doing the whole, say it to my face, say my name, I'm the chief of the tribe. And they've had some brutal matches. It, the feud is ongoing. And I don't mean to tip the hand here. But if you like wrestling and you know how these things go, it's not out of line that this program ends in some kind of WrestleMania match. Roman Reigns against The Rock. Yes, Dwayne Johnson, that level of come out of retirement for one more big dance and do the real passing of the torch, just like The Rock got from Hulk Hogan in 2002 at WrestleMania 18 and just like would be ultimately perfect and needed here. Luke, again, I don't care where you stand on this. If there's a possibility that The Rock comes back in a real WrestleMania match against heel Roman Reigns, his cousin in a all sort of Samoan pride type of blood war, This is good shit. This is why we watch. This is why grown men still get into this soap opera. I love where this is going, and it's kind of bringing me back in, Luke. Go ahead, crap on it. But these (laughs) Samoan men are showing us the blood and guts we deserve as wrestling fans and not this regular weekly bullshit.
0: I always love it when people defend pro wrestling by saying it's like soap opera for men. Yo, you know soap operas suck ass, right? Like, they're not good just because they're designed for women. They're trash for them, too.
1: Um, I like action movies, Luke. What's the difference between Commando and, and WrestleMania, okay? Now, look, I'm not going to defend WWE. They, they screw up a lot. AEW's great. NXT's pretty much always great. I know that's WWE, but, Luke, I get it. If, you, if you're just predisposed to never love it, then you never will. You didn't grow up with it. Is this true? In the in the 80s? No, early, I think 90s like you... every
0: kid. No, every kid in the 80s watched Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior and all that. I watched a little bit of it, sure.
1: Did you watch the NWO with WCW in the, in the mid to late 90s when we were... Entering our own sort of rebellious years, Luke, and these people are like, F you, society, and then Steve Austin becomes this bad guy, good guy for WWE, and then, look, it's the greatest era of all time. You didn't live the Monday Night Wars, Luke? Is this what you're saying?
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. What were you, reading books,
1: uh, competing in mathlete challenges?
0: (laughs) Uh, I bet I had more girlfriends, I can tell you that. Uh, listen. Well, re- yeah,
1: re- wrestling fandom and sex don't usually go hand in hand. Actually, <laughs> they do go hand in hand. Typically, just not with anybody else. um But Luke, all I'm saying is this: there are storylines every couple years. The Hogan Savage blow mega powers explode. The greatest story I ever told in pro wrestling, right? I think Hogan was secretly, you know, that's 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 the hook of that story, right? I don't think Randy was wrong. Um, sometimes there are storylines that are so real and simple and basic that they just freaking work. This Reigns one has that potential. I'm going to end it there because all you're going to do is speak, speak ill. All right?
0: You're gonna I'm gonna just speak dying Ill. for you to finish because I absolutely do not care. All right, Luke, um, show
1: me your tip. But just the tip, please. All right? all right.
0: So for mine, I'll make mine very short and sweet. Uh, a lot, I was like, dying for a movie to watch. As you guys know, the movie industry is in peril. They're closing regal cinemas in both the U.K. and the United States, which yes. is absolutely terrible. And so it's just hard to – like, they're not releasing as many movies anymore. And so I was like, you know, what's a movie I've not seen that uh, – maybe I could go back and, and get a chance to revisit. And I had it some time the other day, and Rotten Tomatoes has a section on, like, uh, you know, uh, like, like hidden gems on Hulu, undiscovered greats on Amazon Prime. And so it would depend on necessarily where, you know, you have your subscription service, but I think it was – mine was for Prime. And it was a movie that I had missed. I don't know how I had missed it. It's from 2012. By the way, distributed by CBS Films, but that's not why I'm breaking it up. Oh, hey. It's all called right. Seven It's called Seven Psychopaths. It stars Woody Harrelson, Christopher Walken, Sam Rockwell, Colin Farrell. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. I would not give this movie an A rating. I'd give it a B B plus. It doesn't deserve to be held up there as like this oh my god movie. But here's what it does have. Number one, Sam Rockwell, who also plays the lawyer in that uh, Richard Jewell movie that came out, Um, I think either during or just before the pandemic. He's phenomenal. He's been in a million movies. He is one of the most underrated actors I've ever seen. Colin Farrell might be handsome, but he can act his ass off too. Woody Harrelson, need I say more? Christopher Walken, need I say more? He is unbelievable in this, okay? And more to the point, I need a movie that when I turn it on, I don't need action right from the word go. I don't need any of that. But you got to hook me. One way or the other, You gotta hook me. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you want to talk about a hook from an opening scene, they get it. It is dark comedy, it is bloody, it's hilarious, it's dark, it's irreverent, it's weird, it's interesting. It's not A+, but it is definitely worth your time if you've never seen it. If for nothing else, BC, than the strength of the cast alone, Sam Rockwell, amazing.
1: Incredible ensemble. I have quick questions for you. What year was the movie uh, I think
0: 2012.
1: Okay, give me a 60-second uh, uh, plot, please, with no spoilers.
0: A uh, troubled film writer, Colin Farrell, is trying to write a movie, and he has already come up with a title called Seven Psychopaths, and he can't quite finish it. And his friend tries to help him, Sam Rockwell, tries to help him finish it. I can't say much more than that except the lengths that he goes to to make the film written are out of this world
1: all right all right you sold me you sold me you know the name power sells me um you've never you've yet to steer me wrong in a movie you got me to watch parasite in the theater luke all right
0: you know what i was learning you on some good korean cinema
1: okay i haven't watched that war movie you said yet but i will and um letters from iwo jima okay is there any 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 uh Oh, I'll, I'll watch it. I'll watch it and get back to you. Thank you for it, the tip,
0: Luke. Thank you. Yeah, You All definitely right. will not hate that. And then there's my tip okay. for you. Okay, BC, last but not least, every Friday we do our review segment. It could be, again, any kind of thing. It's just something that we have to go back and look and see if we can appreciate again or maybe not. You had assigned everyone, including me, including the audience, Nassim Hamed's fight against Kevin Kelly, HBO Sports, HBO Boxing, 1997 Let's go.
1: Let me set the stage. Let me set the stage. New York's Madison Square Garden, the U.S. debut of Prince Nassim Hamed, who Luke had the WBO featherweight title, had taken boxing by storm to a degree. But you know how it works. You're really nothing until you can do it in the U.S. And you can do it at MSG. Prince 28-0 coming in with 26 KOs. This was December 19th, 1997. And why I love this fight was because... The Baranchik Zepeda, with all the knockdowns, reminded me a lot of this fight. But this is mountaintop of who Prince Nassim was. And you made a great point of reference last week about you see so much McGregor in this character that predated him by two decades. And it, it makes a lot of sense where they're both from. This this badass Prince Nassim, this was the time in his career going against a Kevin Kelly who, as Larry Merchant said on the broadcast, may have been just turning the corner out of his prime, but only had one loss, had a six-inch reach advantage over over Ahmed. was a former champion, had a great jab, had big-time power, and was all New York, all the time, the flushing flash. This was supposed to be that test. Hamed can do it against all these British jobbers, but can you do it in the States and a big platform against a tough ass out? Can you be that guy? Luke, I live for these type of show-me moments in sports, especially with people as bold and flashy as Hamed. For him to come in and get dropped twice, kind of what uh, Zepeda went through and be down on the cards right away and have to make this a fight, this is what it's all about. You had a chance to sit down and watch it. I hope you watched the 20-plus-minute Hamed entrance. Give me some thoughts, Luke.
0: All right, so there's a lot there. I was looking it on YouTube, and initially I just found the fight itself, and the video had like half a million views, and then I saw in the corner like recommended, you know, YouTube does that, and there was another one that had like a million or two views. I'm like, so I clicked on it, and it had the original HBO boxing uh uh, like prelude package, where they go to where he's from. They show you the store that his parents ran and he lived above. Why he was so popular. He's he's a Yemeni uh, Brit, and why he was so popular in his home country. Why he was so popular in the UK. I would consider Yemen and you know UK both. Um, and you know, talking about how he like. They made one of the the writers made a great point. They were like, this is not a guy who comes from generations you know, of uh, people who made it or, you know, the one or two removed, you know, one generation ago, these were working class or, you know, just slightly above working class folks. Like these were people who did not necessarily have a whole lot in immigrant story and he made it and turned it just like that. That was like McGregor and the absolute ease with which when the spotlight was on, that was when he was at his best. And he was so good at making his fans love him and making his enemies go crazy. To your point, there is this moment where he's walking out for the fight against Kelly, and he's standing behind this like, white diffusion sheet so you can see his shadow, and he just <laughs> dances behind it for like 10 minutes. And literally, at one point, I'm not making this up, Larry Merchant, uh, no, excuse me, yeah, Larry Merchant, He had some
1: one-liners, Luke. He had some one-liners on this.
0: Okay, on the broadcast, he was joking, but he is watching this all go down. This, like, arrogant, brash, you know, amazing guy who's not a prince but calls himself that, dancing behind this diffusion sheet and says, this is the end of Western civilization as we know it. No one has ever been cooler ever in their lives than Hamed was at that moment and the reason why is because you had an old guy mad at a young guy for doing young guy shit that is the absolute key to know someone is cool how much is he pissing off old people and he (laughs) did it to the larry also said
1: larry also said hamed said he has music playing in his head at all times i don't want to hear it (laughs) i mean he had many he had many of those but luke let's pause right here I mean, people know I get mad at like a Michelle Padeda who comes out and dances and gasses himself out and then is just trying to do flashy shit. The difference is that Hamed was always walking the tightrope and his intention was to knock you out. So that entrance, the nerve to dance for 10 full minutes while your opponent in his home city is in the ring, so angry and pissed off. And by the way, the backstory of this, where Kelly refused to do any media ahead of the broad ahead of the fight because he was so pissed that he knew Hamed was gonna take over and steal the show. He even trained at an undisclosed location. Like it was like so like old school angry I'm gonna show you. Hamed made him wait forever and then he's <laughs> sauntering in. He does the flip over the top. Luke they almost got into like five fistfights during the announcements alone. They were constantly going jaw to jaw. I mean it was just that is the most That is arrogance like 1,000. That is the most – like, McGregor hasn't done anything as arrogant as that. And the the fact that Hamed pulled this off consistently – and, oh, by the way, go back to his, like, pro debut, he was still doing the stuff back then. This is just a guy, Luke, who just believes in his stuff on on an otherworldly level. And when you have the power to back that up, which he did, you can do that. Um, It didn't take long before this became bombs away, Luke. This is a great yeah. fight.
0: It was a great matchup, too, and you're right, Kelly. So, uh, um, Hamed would do a back fl- or a front flip over the top rope to get into the ring. That was his special entrance, and he does it. And the commission at the time was a little bit more lenient. They let guys get in each other's faces. So, they're like, like as the, the music is still playing, as all the folks are getting into the ring for all the uh, uh, announcements, they're right there jawing at each other in front. And you can tell Kelly was just irate I and mean, even before Hamed had even gotten to the ring he's pacing back and forth and not like normally pacing back and forth like verbally shouting like get out of here come on what the fuck come do this i mean hamed was arrogant but he weaponized it to the most unbelievable degree in this fight really fantastic stuff and you're right once the fight got started you know kelly kind of put it on him for long stretches of this fight great well, jab let's, with let's, his let's right hand it. hamed well, on, walked great. him
1: down in the corner early When Kelly threw that looping right hand that dropped him, I remember watching this fight live on HBO when it happened and thinking, holy crap, the prince is a fraud. He just got... I mean, that was like a a fight-ending punch, Luke, and Nassim jumped right back up.
0: Well, here was the deal. If memory serves, did it Hamed get dropped twice before Kelly got dropped? I think that's right. I think he got dropped a couple times, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, dude, Kelly... uh, I mean, you know, I was trying to relive the moment... Kelly's going to do this. He's, you, that was the feeling. You got the feeling like, okay, all that showmanship. I mean, he blew up this balloon and blew up this balloon, and here comes Kelly with a needle bah, to pop it. But the thing they indicated both in the prelude package and in the fight you saw it yourself, for all of the unorthodox and maybe questionable ways in which Ahmed would box, the one thing that saved him, because he also had very low output from a volume standpoint, the one thing that saved him was he had absolutely crippling, shocking, power if he landed on you it was over and George Foreman who I believe was one of the commentators for this along with Jim Lampley and Larry Merchant noted that a lot of times when Hamed would get knocked down he'd get hit with a nice shot but he'd be a little bit off balance when Kelly got knocked down he just got knocked down from a super hard punch that landed clean and that it would turn out BC would be the difference in the end
1: Uh, Look, Hamed had all-time great power for this weight class. He had a star value that, look, this opened the doors again for boxing at that time to, to feature fighters of this size in a marquee level like this. Hamed selling out the garden the big room and doing it on a big plot. I mean, that's, that was so big for that weight class. Look, it's no surprise that even though Hamed exited the scene fairly quickly after this win, because he finally got solved by Marco Antonio Barrera and sort of just, you know, the, the fight, the invincibility of the fight, the, 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 the spark was extinguished and he was never the same. And he kind of walked away, but this opened the door for that Barrera, Morales, Pacquiao, Juan Manuel Marquez, golden era of the featherweights to be, you know, pay-per-view headliners to be front and center. He certainly opened that door, but Luke, while he was a contemporary of Roy Jones and Roy Jones, because of his athleticism was so over the top, could make mistakes on purpose, could do things that were dangerously unorthodox because he had the skill to back it up. Even Roy didn't take the chances. Hamed did Luke backing up with your chin straight up. I mean, you know, squaring up. I mean, the, the he's dancing as he's fighting, There's really been no one like him at this level. And to see this fight where he's down two knockdowns early and he just starts building it back with big shots and you could see the fight be leaking out of Kelly with each knockdown that that happened afterwards. Like just, you know, he's still game. He's getting back up, but that power caught up with him quick. And by round four, we saw that at that finish.
0: And the other thing I'd say is you're trying to understand for folks who may have skipped it or you're going to see it based on the conversation we're having now, which I cannot recommend enough. Again, with the HBO Prelude package, if you can find it, it is on YouTube is imagine if one fighter, B.C., did all of the showboating that Costa did against Adesanya, all the showboating Adesanya did against Costa, and then washed it all down with a McGregor proper 12 performance. I mean, it's kind of like that. It's like every different way you could slice dancing, arrogance, inadvised arrogance in terms of fight strategy, no selling, the whole bit, even after getting knocked down. He got a little bit more conservative in the third round, being down, I think, a little bit. But then the fourth round picked it right back up and then absolutely hammered, hammered a, Kelly. A great to the call Kelly by did that. George. Kelly landed on, like, his sort of side-slash-shoulder, like, eh, you know.
1: And, look, just a great call by, by George Foreman of uh, The Prince is For Real. And I think, look— This fight is also a tour de force at what made Foreman a great analyst. Luke, there's been a lot of great fighters turned analysts. Uh, Former Showtime guy, Paulie Malnagi, was one of the best. Andre Ward's great. I like me some Tim Bradley, Roy Jones, all that. I always thought George Foreman was the best, and I think that this fight was certainly a great encapsulation of that. Luke, 1 to 10? Is this art? Are we art? Is art art? What's your score on
0: this? For me, the third round was a little bit, I'm not going to say boring, but it couldn't quite sustain everything that I thought that Zepeda Baranchik had in terms of the back and forth. So for that reason, I'm going to give it a 9.2, which for me, understand, I'm I'm stingy. I'm miserly. That's a very good score for me. I'm not going to go hardly ever higher than this. I really, really had a good time revisiting it. I thought HBO did such a great job hyping it. And BC, the last thing I'd say about it is this is not a fight you can do in a pandemic era. I mean, part of what Hamed did was fight another man, but he fought another man almost on behalf of the audience or in spite of them. It was, he, was, he was negotiating with many different factors at once. Just having him fight, it would have been exciting if they had put it in you know, a 1997 version of the HBO Apex facility or something. It still would have been good, but it wouldn't have been what it was. That was one where the fans were absolutely crucial, whether they were booing, whether they were cheering
1: and the comparison to McGregor is so apt here because this was the biggest fight and really the mountaintop moment of, of his career. I know the 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 loss to Barrera on pay-per-view was, let's say, a bigger fight, a bigger event, and he lost that fight. He was never the same. And oh, by the way, I don't know if you remember, Marco Antonio Barrera put, took Nasim Ahmed's head on the last round and banged it into the corner turnbuckle like it was pro wrestling. But Luke, um, even entering this fight, as we mentioned, It was no different than McGregor against Mendes, against Aldo, where you're like, okay, he won those fights, but, right? People were saying that, you know, the prince is just flashy, but this was the fight he made everyone a believer. I'm going to give it an 8.9, which may seem a little bit low, but Mm. it was only four rounds, and um, even though we look back at it as a war because of the knockdowns, there's moments where it's a little more selective. Entertainment-wise, it's through the roof. I I love it. It's one of my favorite fights ever. To close, I can't express this enough, Luke, in the late 90s, and you saw Nas wearing the towel over his head a la Mike Tyson, there was a short run there where Nas was a uh – he was almost bigger than boxing. There was a short, like, look, he wasn't Tyson or Holyfield, but there was a short run there where it didn't matter who he was fighting. Non-boxing fans would always call me. I'd be like, dude, is Hamet on stage? Okay, we got to be there. we got, you know, we got to watch. It doesn't matter who. When you get to that level, right, that, that sort of Bo Jackson level, that sort of fame level, it, it was insane. He didn't last long there, but it was a special run.
0: Last thing on this, before we end this conversation, I do think I'd like to go back to the McGregor comparison because it's kind of how we got started on this whole thing. Would it be fair to say McGregor is some kind of MMA combination between Floyd Mayweather in terms of like the ambition, how big you want to be for the game, casting your shadow over it with the theatrics of Prince Nassim Hamed? Is he a mix of those two in your mind?
1: Yeah, look, everybody's an influence of somebody else. Uh, You like Hulk Hogan shtick? Go watch Superstar Billy Graham in pro wrestling. You'll see how much he stole from that. I always thought that Floyd was a sort of mixture of Nassim Hamed's brashness with Floyd's uh, mind and marketability. There's obviously a little bit of Ali in there, too, in the in the style of trash talk that, that McGregor uses. But look, you see the influences watching this fight. You know, he's a creation of all of his idols before him.
0: Yeah, whatever the case, if there is an heir to the throne of Prince Nassim in terms of the things that he brought to the, the fight game, I mean, Prince Nassim Hamed himself will tell you it's Conor McGregor. There's a famous clip out there where he says, you know, I'm not paying attention too much to what's happening in boxing these days, but there's this Irish guy out there. This is years ago. This guy, Conor McGregor, he has everything. That's the one you want to pay attention to. And, you know, to see where uh, Conor came from in terms of maybe his influences, being from not the U.K., but Ireland next to it, I bet Prince Nassim Hamed played a big role just the same. Uh, great show, B.C. Let's remind Say again? How
1: big were his balls, Luke? Just to close, oh, how big were his balls? I they mean, were like why. hippity hops.
0: He could have hippity hopped. Like after watching way.
1: that, I want to live my hippity hops. Well, I want to live my life with balls as big as Hamed had back then. Okay. No
0: doubt about it. Brass ones, too. Uh, if you yeah. want to get us in touch with the show for Dead Wrong for any other reason, morningcombat at gmail.com. That is going to be your place to be. Morningcombat, all one word, at gmail.com. It is, it is, it is open for your questions. Send them all in. Also, We are on social media. BC and I are on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Morning Combat is on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, this YouTube channel. So give it a thumbs up. Hit that subscribe. BC, I got to say, I don't want to, like, cast a, you know, I don't want to jinx it, knock on wood. We have been on such a great run since we went full-time in terms of some of the numbers on this channel. And I'm really delighted to see it.
1: Yeah, obviously, all the credit goes to you for dissected in your live chat and bringing your large audience <laughs> with you, Luke. But uh, hopefully I could sprinkle in some, some dong jokes once in a while, but yeah, you look, know, we're I on your fire boxing right podcast
0: here. got like what? Two and a half K. I mean, that's something. Well, it's look, it's for the hardcores
1: only. Okay. That's the deal. If you want me to take my shirt off to raise it up to five K, I will uh, Luke at the end of the day, we can't thank these people enough. Uh, we are here because all these crazy web screamers out there, send us in their artwork, support us, they're, i got i got something for monday i got to show you we got even fans in 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 the in europe that are that they have our merch i don't know how they did it but they've got our merch luke okay they've got ways they've got methods they're you know people are just going above and beyond thank you
0: thank you um, all right so with that if you want to try showtime go to showtime.com 30 day free trial if you like it you can keep it if not you can pound sand if you want some of that merch and you're in the available neighborhoods to get it you can go to store.show com. It is available for your purchase there. Hoodies, hats, tumblers, mugs, uh, and everything else in between. We are back on Monday with a reaction show to all of the weekend's action, plus news and everything else, 11 a.m. right here on YouTube. For Malka, for Showtime, for BC and CBS Sports, I'm Luke Thomas. Enjoy your weekend. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.